This is Adam Hill, the minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. I always tell our church family, read your Bible. You'll be a better Christian. My prayer is that this Bible-based sermon will help you follow Christ more faithfully. Let's learn together as we study the Word today. Good morning. Good morning. want to welcome you to what is the third week of our face-to-face series um, in which we are seeing time and time again that one encounter with Jesus changes everything. And what I hope we learn today, what I hope we, we, we come to believe today is that this is not simply true, thank you, in the Gospels, but this is true today. And today we're going to look at a story that To be honest, I looked back through my notes. I've talked to you several times, and frankly, I don't think I can do it better. No, I'm just playing. Um, But I've taught it to you several times, and most of you, if you've been in church for a while, could probably teach it to me. Let's read it together from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It is our tradition to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. So if you are willing and able, please stand with me as we read from Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. The Bible says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that He had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and He preached the Word to them. Some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to study this passage. I pray, God, that you will speak powerfully through it. God, I am amazed by you. I'm amazed that you love us. I'm amazed that you choose us. God, I'm amazed that we have the opportunity to submit to you, to believe in you, to choose you. Thank you. Speak today, Father, for your children are listening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
You may be seated. So in Mark chapter 2, the passage we just read, verses 1 through 12, Jesus comes back to Capernaum where he's known. It says he was coming back home when they heard he had gotten back home. Okay, he's raised there. And, And most scholars infer that he's probably back in the home of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who the previous chapter he had been staying with and had healed. Okay, so this is a place he's pretty familiar, and people find out that he's back, and they begin to crowd the house. They begin to pack the place full until there's no more room, and the crowd is piling up. They're starting to look through the windows. They're standing outside the doorways just hoping to hear. And Jesus does what Jesus does. He begins to preach. You give us a crowd, we're going to do the thing. And so Jesus begins to preach, and, and, and as he preaches, there's something going on outside. There is this troop of guys who are carrying a paralyzed friend on a mat between them. But no matter how hard they try to get into the house, through the crowd, no one will give up their space. No one will let them in. There's too many people in there, and they can't get in. But they won't be stopped, so they take their paralyzed friend up onto the roof. And they make a plan to disrespect their surroundings and get into some property damage, as you do. And so they destroy the roof of this house in order to get their friend into Jesus. I imagine, if I, were, if I were shooting this film, here's how I imagine the scene, right? It's, it's dark on the, on, the, on the screen, and then all of a sudden there's just tons of smoke, right? Dust everywhere, debris, you can't hardly see anything. And then you see lights start to pierce through, and, 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 and you see from the vantage point of the people in the room, you look up as all of the four guys are looking down through the mess they've made into the room. And then you see it from their angle and down and all the people looking up. And you hear almost nothing except for their panting because they've been working. And, and maybe you hear some coughing, some ambient coughing. That's what it would say in the closed captioning. Ambient coughing, you know, dramatic music. I like when it describes it, moderately dramatic music. I'm like, well, that's a, that's a little bit of a judgment, okay. But you would, you would have that going on, and people might be coughing because of the, the settling debris and the dust that's in the air. And then all of a sudden, as they look down, you would see Jesus come into the frame, and he looks at them. And then he speaks. And it says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Did you notice that it says Jesus saw their faith? It doesn't say Jesus saw the faith of the man who was lowered in and said, your sins are forgiven. 
It says Jesus saw all of their faith. That man and his friends, you see, these five knew that Jesus was capable of healing him. You can tell because they would do anything just to get Jesus' attention. The other thing I notice is that it says Jesus saw their faith. Well, it was kind of hard to ignore. They've just ripped a hole in the roof. No, I mean, do you get what I'm saying? I hope, I, hope, I hope it came out there. I hope you didn't miss it. That Jesus saw their faith because it was in action. They were doing something. All too often, I think of my own faith, and what I hope is that Jesus will know it in his spirit, the same way that he knows about these teachers of the law later, that I believe in spite of the lack of visible evidence that I'm not really doing anything. That, that even though I don't offer up much to see, I'm hoping Jesus knows. Do, do you get the difference? Jesus sees their faith, their passionate Service, helping someone they loved. Is my faith seeable? I don't think that's a word. Visible. Visible. Is my faith visible? I like seeable better. Is my faith seeable? Yeah, that's the sound bite. Their, their faith... Didn't exactly move mountains, but it did tear a hole in the roof. It did carry their paralyzed friend across town. It did carry him up a ladder or some stairs so that they could lower him through the hole they made by digging through the roof. And here's what I know. These friends are true friends. They put themselves out for the sake of another in need. They risked disapproval and derision just to help their friend. They faced penalty of law to help someone without the means to help himself. Through their unconventional behavior, <laughs> they reveal the truest heart of what it means to be someone's friend. Because they are utterly convinced that just getting someone into the presence of Jesus will change their life. And the best part is, the Bible says that their faith was rewarded. Jesus saw the faith of the whole group and took action because the kingdom of God grows through the work of the bold. The kingdom of God grows through the work of the bold. Now, when Jesus says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven, I'm not sure exactly how the man reacted. We're not told. There's a part of me that thinks, that thinks he did not want to be ungracious, unthankful. And so he was like, oh, cool, thank you. 
that is not exactly why I'm here. But that's cool. It's cool too. Um, there's another pressing need that I have in mind, that we had in mind. Once again, I don't want to seem ungrateful, but, but, but there's nothing I want more, Jesus, than to be able to walk again and run again and stand again. And I, I need you to hear me. There is nothing wrong with that wish. But what if your most passionate wish is not your deepest need? Let's preach, preacher. What if your most passionate wish, the thing you want most, is not the thing you need the most? He encounters Jesus, and Jesus knows what he wants, but he also knows even more what he needs. And sometimes we convince ourselves, if I only had my most passionate wish, I'd be okay. Because I tell myself, somehow if I had what my most passionate wish was, I could figure this all out. I could, in effect, save myself. And so I go to God to get a little boost. Just, I just got to get over the hump. But God wants more for us than that, just to get over this next bump in the road. So Jesus challenges the man to go deeper, to get to his real need, salvation and forgiveness and wholeness. And this paralyzed man is something, I'll tell you that. It seems he actually believed that there was nothing else in the whole world that could heal his body but Jesus. He believed there was nothing else in this whole world that could heal his body like Jesus. Imagine how he felt when he found out there was nothing else in this whole world that could save his soul like Jesus. Oh, you can clap at that. That was gospel. Understand, with these words, son, your sins are forgiven, Jesus is taking this whole encounter to a much deeper level. And if you read verses 6 and 7, the teachers of the law, they don't like it. They can't believe it. They were sitting there thinking to themselves, who is this? Why does he talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, for the record, they aren't exactly wrong with that last question. Only God has the authority to forgive sins. Only God has the power to cleanse souls. So they're, they're right on that assumption. The assumption they're wrong about is who they're talking to. They can't imagine that Jesus is God. Now, these teachers of the law, if you recall, we find out from other gospel accounts, are part of the crowd that has gathered. They've even got some of the best seats. 
to listen to Jesus teach. They're part of the crowd. You know, that crowd that wouldn't part way when those gentlemen showed up outside just a few minutes ago. They're part of the group that wouldn't get out of the way for someone who needed Jesus. These are those folks. And I know that in the gospel, the teachers of the law, if you read the gospels, you'll find out the teachers of the law, if they're not bad guys, they're at least bad guy adjacent. They hang out with the Pharisees too much for us to think, these are good guys. Right? They're... they're but I, and, and, and I know church is probably not the right place to play devil's advocate. <laughs> that was funnier than y'all gave it credit for. <clears throat> I thought that was really clever when I wrote that. Church is, church is probably not the best place to play devil's advocate, but I want, I want to give them a minute and tell you about who these teachers of the law are. They are devout, devout, devoutly religious people who care deeply about God and deeply about the Scripture, who want God's will to be done, and they want to learn as much as possible about God's words. Why? They almost sound like churchgoers. Watch out now. I'll be honest with you, thinking about these scribes made me lose some sleep this week. Because I started to ask myself, is it possible that in our desire to learn more about Jesus, we may actually be guilty of keeping others out who are desperate to know Him? We are committed to being a church that helps people take the next step in Christ. But we must be on guard against the kind of attitude and rigidity that tries to keep Jesus on schedule. That tries to keep Jesus doing what we want Jesus doing. That tries to keep Jesus working the plan that we like when we like it. It means that sometimes we're going to be called to be flexible. Sometimes we're going to have to get out of the way and let God do God's thing. Even if it's not a part of our plan. It means that we will give of ourselves to make sure that others can be in the presence of Jesus. Because we believe in our heart of hearts that just one encounter with Jesus changes everything. So Jesus asks them, having seen what they're thinking in their hearts, immediately Jesus asks them, read verses 8 through 10 with me, immediately, or 8 and 9, Jesus, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Man, I've taught this every way you can teach it. Sometimes, oh, let me tell you what, sermon number one. Sermon number one. Give me verse nine, just verse nine on screen. 
Sermon number one is to say, on the one hand, saying your sins are forgiven is pretty easy, but if he doesn't get up and walk, who cares about the first part? And then, sermon two, or move number two, is when I set you up with that and then come back around and surprise you and say, no, 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 no. As a matter of fact, saying get up and walk is the easy part because healing his body is no problem. But in order to save the man's soul, in order to forgive the sins, Jesus is going to have to give himself up on the cross and die for that man. So it turns out, you see how I did that? I preached both sides of it. Oh, that was great. And here's what I've come to the conclusion of. This is a rhetorical question. Which is easier? Here's what I mean. How many of those options, option one or option two, your sins are forgiven, get up and walk. Which of those two can any of those teachers of the law do? None. Which of those two can I do? None. Only God can do both of these things. The answer is God on both counts. Heal his body, save his soul, whichever one you want. That's the work of God. This is not a discussion of human authority. This is a proof of divine authority. And if Jesus could by a word make the lame man walk, then he had the authority by a word to forgive him of his sins. That the power to, uh, to do either is not in the human domain, but in the divine. Of course, he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. <laughs> they made room for him that time. That's a good line. That's a good line, Nathan. Of course, there's the not-so-small matter of evidence. To say someone is forgiven is immaterial. It's invisible. But to make a crippled man get up and walk is very, very visible. The healing of his legs was easy to behold through sight. However, the healing of his soul was a matter of faith. And those watching must reconcile the walking man with the claims that Jesus made about his forgiveness. Jesus says, so that you will know who I am and that I have the authority to do this. So that you will know. We live in a world where knowledge is very uncertain. Relativism, spin, fake news, so little in this world points to the truth that can actually be known. And Jesus says, I want you to know who I am and why I'm here. And so I want to put it on display so that you will know 
who I am and why I'm here. That I have the power and authority to do what he came to do. But don't lose this. In spite of, in the middle of the, there's the teachers of the law who have to reconcile what they're seeing with what he's saying. And they're not real sure that that's going to work out. And there's the crowd who is amazed and they're saying, we've never seen anything like this. He just told off the teachers, healed that guy. He's doing everything now. This is awesome. We got more than we thought we were coming for. In the middle of all of that, those friends who are watching, there's the man himself who was healed. Think about it. The man who is now standing, who is walking, who is striding and making his way out the door where he's going to run and jump. The one who is feeling and experiencing what Jesus has done for his physical body must now decide if he's going to believe Jesus about what he claimed for his spiritual body. He's walking, and he has to answer the question, do I believe Do I dare to believe that my legs weren't the only thing healed today? Do I dare to believe that what he said about my sins being forgiven is true? Kenny, you go ahead and uh, come up. While Kenny comes up, I want to ask you, is it okay if I go one, one, not a big step, just a little deeper? This story is cool. This story is a beautiful testimony to the authority of God on display in the person of Jesus, the Son of God. But I want you to look closely at it because if, if, if you see it, if you back up just for a moment and you see it as a whole, you'll notice that across this story there is the shadow of the cross. Here's what I mean. Jesus' actions in this moment set him up to be despised and rejected by the religious and those with power. Yet he chooses that in order to reveal God's love and grace to those who felt abandoned and helpless. He's going to keep making this same decision. And it will lead to Calvary. And those religious leaders who are angry and jealous will put him on that cross. And it will cost him his life. I hope you hear the gospel that the only one able to save is also willing. Jesus calls us to search our own souls, to realize that our greatest wish needs to be Him. 
And this means that like the friends, some of us need to ask how we plan to bring people into the presence of Jesus, even if we face difficulties while we're trying to do it. This means that like the, the, the lame man, some of us need to ask ourselves if what we think we want most is actually what we need most. This means that like the scribes, some of us are going to need to stop being hindrances to those who are trying to see Jesus, to stop trying to make God work in the ways that we are most comfortable with, to stop being so cynical and get back to being amazed. This means that all of us need to be willing to let Jesus make more of our lives than we ever thought possible. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, check out www.rochestercoc.org. There you can find links to other teachings, opportunities to join our family and serve, as well as ways to support our work. It truly is a wonderful time to be the church. I pray that you're blessed. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.